Hey, what's going on, veterinary anesthesia nerds? Have I got a treat for you? We have one of the, I mean, the best, the brightest, the most definitely energetic voices in veterinary technology. I am talking about none other than Amy Newfield. Amy, I mean, listen to these credentials, you guys. She has a master's degree in leadership and management. She has over 20 years in veterinary medicine. She is a VTS in emergency and critical care. She owns her own business. She just launched a CE website that we're going to talk more about at the end of this thing. Um, And she is published. She is an award-winning speaker, lecturer, all of these things. Uh, and, you know, just somebody nice to sit on the, uh, on the side of a hill in Australia and drink wine with. So let's talk with Amy. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And there is nothing better than sitting on the hillside, having wine and looking out at the sunset. So it's pretty awesome. That was a great trip. Yes. Yeah, shout out to Australia for just being amazingly beautiful and having delicious wine. Yeah. Absolutely. Great place to visit. Great place. Great people as well. So, Yes. All right, Amy. So the reason that I'm having you on today, and we're going to take a little bit of a shift. Um, I mean, we certainly could talk clinical medicine, but I'm really interested in the fact that you have not only been a leader in a hospital, managed teams in hospitals, but also, you know, now you have an award-winning book about being a manager and managing said teams. So I want to kind of blend one of the things that I really love, which is organization and checklists. Uh, I'm one of those people that I will make a checklist every single day. And I'm one of those people too. I'm like a weirdo. I don't know if anybody out here listening is one of these people as well. Well, I like know I'm going to do something. Like it's something that like I'm going to like, I just put like shower on the list just so I could check it off. Like it's not, it's a low stakes, but I feel good checking these things off the list, right? So I make a checklist every single day. Yeah, absolutely. Checklists are super important. It's, uh, you know, I think in life as you get older, for everybody who's young, you might not feel like you need checklists. But as you get older, I can assure you checklists are your best friend, whether or not it live on your cell phone or whether or not you actually still use old fashioned sticky notes like I do and place them in strategic places so you don't forget things in life. Um, Checklists are definitely going to help you out, not only in life, but in veterinary medicine as well. Yeah. So I guess what I would love to talk to you about is the fact that we have numerous studies. We have a bunch of books out there, uh, especially extrapolated from human medicine to show us why utilizing checklists in every aspect of veterinary medicine, right, is helpful. And since you're VTS ECC, I I use a checklist all the time in surgery, and certainly before that scalpel hits the skin, we do a timeout to make sure, you know, we have the right patient. Have they got their serenia? Have they got their antibiotics? Did the, you know, are we doing radiographs? Are we doing biopsies? Just so everybody is on the same page, we have clear communication. But can checklists be utilized in other places? Maybe, I guess where I'm thinking of is, is there a way to make patients coming into the ER safer with checklists? Like, let's talk about it. Like, what if you have a dog that's been hit by a car and maybe just on presentation, it has a fracture. Maybe it even has like some lung issues, right? Um, Is there a way that we can utilize a checklist to go through things to make that initial triage or, or, or just the treatment in itself safer? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, checklists are one of these really great uh, things that help us make sure that we've uh, and checked off all the boxes that we've, uh, you know, crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. 
And when we think about trauma patients, certainly in the moment, it's hard to utilize those checklists. But in human medicine, they actually have checklists, which is really incredible and something that I think we're obviously lacking or most hospitals that I've worked in are lacking. You know, when you have a patient in respiratory distress, being able to pull out a quick card to jog your memory to say, ooh, I have to check, you know, the gum color. I need to do a pulse ox. I'm supposed to draw an arterial blood gas. You know, all of those things we think we're going to remember, but the whole point of checklists is even though you've done it a million times, it's so that that time that you're about to forget, you don't forget. I mean, every one of us has walked out of the house with our pants unzippered, our shoes not tied. We've forgotten to put on turn signals. <laughs> and so and whenever I hear teams saying, well, we do it all the time, I'm sorry, at some point, probably that month, you're going to forget to turn on a turn signal, but you've done it all the time. You forget to brush your teeth, but yet you've done it all the time. And so really, checklists are the things that helps to save lives because in veterinary medicine, one of the things we don't like to talk about is medical problems and medical error reporting issues. So this is one of those, those little steps we can take to prevent you know, medical errors. Yeah, so let's maybe kind of offshoot on that for just a second as well. Um, I know that previously we had chatted and you had said that there was actually a study uh, in veterinary medicine looking at medical error reporting. Um, are there any tidbits from that that we should know about and ways that we, again, could implement in our practice? Yeah, absolutely. So checklists are part of preventing medical errors, but really medical error reporting is something that's pretty, you know, rare to do in veterinary medicine. Um, I think even most large companies are not doing the best that they could be potentially doing in terms of medical error reporting. It's common in human medicine. In fact, they're trained on it in both, you know, the registered nurses as well as the doctors. They're trained on reporting any and all medical issues, not only the ones that have occurred, but the almost have occurred ones where I drew up the wrong drug and I was about to give it, but then I caught myself and I didn't give the wrong drug. That still gets logged by registered nurses. And this is not something we like to talk about in human medicine. So if, if we think it doesn't happen, it definitely does. So the British Journal of Veterinary Medicine a couple years ago actually voluntarily asked for medical error reporting. And they ended up finding out that all these reports were coming in and 102 of them were showing that there was medication dispensing mistakes. And of that 102, 18 mistakes were because of an NSAID and an antibiotic. Their names were mixed up. And the NSAID drug had just launched in the UK um, and it had a very similar name to the antibiotic. And of those 18 mistakes, 12 of them re resulted in cat deaths. And honestly, the solution it was simple. It was just change the NSAID drug name, and they now no longer have that problem. But this is why when we don't talk about issues, when we don't talk about errors, the you know error that we have in our hospital could be the same as everybody else's hospital, but we don't talk about it. And only one patient died in my hospital, so we don't think it's a big deal when in reality it is a huge deal. And again, part of that solution is let's get some checklists Let's slow down, remember to do all the steps, and we're probably going to have less, you know, medical errors. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. No, I'm a huge fan of checklists. I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, open communication as well, which uh, I would say that early in my career, I probably wasn't. And now that I am older and wiser, you know, learn, uh, know better, do better, right? I'm trying to be 
more open. I'm human. I have certainly made mistakes in my career as well. Um, so let's say that you are a manager or, you know, one of the clinicians or even one of the technician, you know, leads and you want to implement a checklist. And I know that I've come up against this before when I've led a team or been in hospitals. I want to implement a checklist. It's just as simple. I mean, just getting the OR timeout checklist started at one of the clinics that I worked at was really rough. Like they were like, we just want to keep going. Like this is going to slow us down. Uh, We don't have time to go through, you know, who the patient is and all this stuff. So it was really hard. I will say that now today, three years later, (laughs) when I went in, they do it. Um, But there's still people that really seem to fight this checklist. Or what I've noticed as well is some people will be like, I don't need a checklist. I know what I'm doing, right? It's almost like you saying I need a checklist is like I need hand-holding. And it's not a sign of weakness if you use a checklist. Um, Again, in fact, it's going to result in better patient outcomes. So if you have a team that's really fighting against the checklist, what are some tips you have for technician managers or managers in general who want to implement these things to increase patient safety? Yeah, it's definitely hard when you come up against those roadblocks when teams say, oh, we don't need it. We do it all the time or it's going to slow us down. And um, there's a 2015 study that was done by a surgery resident in human medicine. And he wanted to make sure that the transfer of a post-op patient to the recovery room, the information that was getting transferred was complete and thorough because what they found is sometimes when they would transfer patients, there would be a piece of information that didn't transfer And then unfortunately something would happen and they'd look back and realize there was a communication issue. So he created a mnemonic device called puts patient first. And it basically stood for, you know, basically who is the patient? What's the underlying disease process? What's the technique? And it goes through this long acronym, even like what kind of fluids is this patient on? And people were really adverse to like using this checklist system, this mnemonic device. Because they said, we don't have time for this. We transfer patients all the time. The mistakes aren't that big. And like, you can't see my my bunny ears, but I always put that in <laughs> bunny ears aren't that big until, you know, it becomes a problem. And so he did a study. And what he found was it only took an extra 26 seconds to provide 20% more information about the post-op surgical patient when using the mnemonic checklist. It was that simple. And so when people say, I don't have time for that, you know what we don't have time for is uh, lawsuits. <laughs> lawsuits, legal issues, clients being mad. Um, I mean, if you're in this profession long enough, the mistakes range where I almost made a mistake to patient deaths. There's not one of us who've been in this profession for probably more than five years who hasn't seen a patient die, unfortunately because of a medical issue that it was either usually communication problem, a breakdown, or we weren't thinking and we drew up the wrong drug, uh, gave the wrong thing, unfortunately. And that is what we don't have time for. I don't have time to spend my next 10 hours dealing with lawyers and clients and losing business and then managing the staff that just went through this. And then dealing with the outcome of that, that's a nightmare. So yeah, 26 seconds is nothing. Just do these checklists and stop saying you know everything. Again, if, if you've never uh, walked out of the house with your pants unzippered, then you're amazing because everybody has. So I agree. <laughs> Definitely, I agree. Um, there's multiple times, um, especially, you know, I have a, a son. It, it happened last night, right? We go through the list. We're on our way to soccer. Do we have the cleats? Do we have the goalie gloves? Do we have the water bottle? Do we have your jersey? Do we have... 
And inevitably, one of these things gets missed, right? Um, because we're human. And maybe maybe I need a pre-soccer checklist. Maybe that's what we need to have hanging by the door now. <laughs> yes, Because yes, I really try. And we just can't see. Last night, it was the socks. So there's always something that just escapes me, right? Because our minds are, are trying to do, like, so many things. Um, one of the things that I think, you know, if you if you have a team and they're they're really trying hard to implement it, I think that one of the things is having a lot of meetings with your team, always having communication with your team. I think that open communication really helps a lot of things. Um, and why don't you and your experience talk to me, especially from an, an ECC standpoint and a management standpoint. I worked at a practice where we did... M&M rounds. Tell us, should everybody be doing M&M rounds? Is this yes. something that's only for, <laughs> is it, is it only for like big universities? Uh, can, you know, your GP clinics benefit from M&M rounds? hundred percent. And I'm going to butcher this study, but there's a couple of studies out of, of human med. Um, and they took, and they look at like 10,000, uh, people studies, like looking at medical errors. And what they found in the one study, this was done in the eighties, about 60% of the medical errors were because of communication-based issues, which should come of no surprise. They repeated the study about a decade later, and they found that the number was pretty much the same as well, um, which was really interesting. So communication and then us being busy and just forgetting to do certain steps are really the big drivers of medical errors. And if we can get those two, you know, do the checklist, slow down, double check, don't think you know it all. And then if we can also get the communication right, we'll probably have way less medical errors. And so for me, I think, you know, part of communication is just being able to how to communicate and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so morbidity and mortality rounds, they've been in human bed for, oh God, 50 plus years at this point. Um, and this is where usually it's a patient death and the entire team gets together, discusses what went well and what didn't go great. Now, in veterinary medicine, where I find M&M rounds occurring, it can be a case that just simply didn't go great. It doesn't necessarily need to be a patient death. Um, I find veterinarians in larger universities and companies will often have M&M rounds, but just the veterinarians. In fact, I worked for a, a private specialty hospital where I literally asked, could the technician and assistant team please join the M&M rounds? Oh, no, it's just for doctors. And when we have that mindset, unfortunately, we don't open up the doors to communication. But having been participating in M&M rounds in other locations, I can tell you at some point, most of the time, there's going to be a conversation where either a technician or a doctor says something like, you know, I was going to say something, but I didn't think I was going to be right and I didn't want to interrupt you. And that other person says, wait a minute, you should have totally said something. Like, why didn't you speak up? And so part of it is we, when we look at, you know, checklists, when we look at communication and trying to decrease our medical errors in veterinary medicine, part of it comes back to culture, right? When we're not comfortable, when we don't have that psychological safety to say, hey, I see an issue and feel comfortable to talk about it, um, you know, when we ma when we forget about that challenge part of that psychological safety, then we're quiet. And then when something happens, we think inside our head, oh, if only I spoke up, if only I said something, probably that patient would have, you know, done better, whatever that is. And so, you know, I, I look at all these things and I'll share with you my one story. I'm obviously uh, in emergency, but having worked in specialty hospitals, obviously you get to hang out and be with the surgery teams and the anesthesia team. 
Uh, the surgery doors blew open one day a couple years ago. The patient gets wheeled out of surgery, and I can see the surgery had not happened. And the surgeon is screaming in the hallway. And I was like, what is going on? And this was a patient that was young, came in for a cruciate repair, no big deal. And I looked across. I said, what is going on? And they said, we shaved the wrong leg. And I went, oh. And they said, we got to shave the entire other leg. And he's calling the owner to explain because now we're really behind. And luckily, we didn't cut. But, and I thought, man, if only we had had a checklist, (laughs) like, because part of on that checklist is, are you doing the right surgery on the right limb? (laughs) So it sounds so crazy, but here we were rushing around. It was a busy, busy surgery day. One of the surgeries didn't go in. The dog was still under general anesthesia. Now they're quickly shaving the leg outside in the dirty OR area, you know, trying to get that done so they can wheel the dog back in. Um, the surgeons ticked as hell, like, you know, calling the owner to explain how now the dog's completely naked in the back half. Um, and while thankfully nothing horrible, horrible happened. Um, yeah, this team never talked about it afterwards. They never had a discussion about what could have been done differently or how to prevent in the future. They just assumed, and we all know what assumed means, they just assumed it would never happen again. It was this one-off. But I'm, I'm sorry, I've talked to plenty of other teams where that's that has happened to other teams too. So, you know, we have to figure out, like, when these medical errors happen, we have to have conversations about them. We have to figure out how to prevent them. Part of that is checklist. And we have to be comfortable with our communication when we have a surgeon screaming in the hallway. That doesn't really make us feel like that person's approachable <laughs> to say, hey, let's talk about what happened. But, um, yeah, looking back, I think we should have probably had a conversation about that one. So, yeah. Yeah, I have – a couple of stories very similar to that. <laughs> uh, one, I was working in one. I actually did work years ago at a place that did cut the wrong knee. <gasps> so they went in. I mean, and they're like in it. And then the doctor's like, are you sure this is the leg? Because I can't. Nope, wasn't. Wasn't the leg. Had to call. The, I mean, that was a terrible phone call. That right? is a terrible phone call. Um, but one, it was uh, we were working in a research setting. So, you know. Like these experiments with live animal models or and all the stuff and all the staff are really expensive yeah. to set up and time consuming. And we got to this one part and somebody was like, where's the, I can't remember the name of the type of catheter they needed. No one knows. We're looking all around. No one can find it. Well, you know what? We didn't have any. There were no inventory. Again, had somebody checklists, you know what I mean? Had gone through a checklist we would have never even scheduled that procedure. So we had to scrap this entire procedure, probably like $5,000 worth of time and effort and supplies. Uh, yeah, the, the PI was very upset, uh, <laughs> had some choice words. But again, I, I think that that kind of lends it to what you're saying. If the, the PI or the surgeon or the team lead or whatever uh, reacts to those situations you know, and completely loses their cool, you know, hopefully they're not really like, um, you know, putting people down or calling people names or stuff like that, but it does happen. And so I can see how if you have somebody who reacts that way, you're going to be very hesitant to go to them with a problem, right? Yeah, absolutely. So if you have somebody who doesn't feel like they work in a place that, that has psychological safety, or if they see something and they are worried, what's your advice to them? 
Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think it does come down to leadership to build an environment that is healthy culturally, as well as with their communication skills. And, you know, one thing I always said is, you know, I think it's no big secret. A lot of us went into veterinary medicine because we like animals more than we like people. Um, But we do a lot of peopling in vet med. um, And no (laughs) one has trained us on communication skills. There's, I didn't take a communication, you know, class or a team you know, environment class in, at, when I was a vet tech. I don't know that veterinarians are learning communication skills. They're certainly not learning conflict resolution or even how to act in a team. And yet this is something we do every day. So we, as people, you know, who resonate and, you know, are driven by animals now are in these environments where it's high stress, it's life and death every single day. And I truly do think that leadership has a a responsibility at this point to figure out how can I beef up my team's communication skills. I was just having a a conversation with a practice manager who said, and I, I hate when leaders say this, and they said, I feel like I'm babysitting children. And I was like, no, they're adults who don't know how to communicate. And there's a completely different, you know, it's completely different than kids. They just don't know how to communicate. And it's your job to teach them how to communicate. It's our job to bring in communication workshops and workshops and um, conflict resolution. It's our jobs to show TED Talks right before meetings and then have discussions about them. It's our job to bring in different concepts of how to communicate. It's our job to bring in emotional intelligence. Um, that's what good leaders do. And as a team member, even if your leadership is absent, you have the ability to own your own communication skills, learn about yourself, learn about how you manage your conflict, learn about how to communicate with your entire team. And it's interesting because years ago, I would have never had that perspective. But now I realize in order to be the best vet tech, in order to be the best veterinarian, uh, in order to be the best CSR if you can get along with everyone on your team, you are going to then be able to provide better patient care, better client service, and trust me, your job is going to be a lot happier. <laughs> and so honestly, I think it's it's up to everybody to learn about how to communicate with each other, which is no small feat. One leader I just talked to said, it's like whenever I have a different conversation with somebody, I have to morph my communication style in an effort to be able to get through to them. And I said, yeah. That's what the best communicators do. You can morph your communication style. One minute you seem extroverted and you're bubbly. The next minute you're quiet and reserved and you know how to keep your mouth shut. And um, you know know when you need to be a little bit more emotional and you know when you need to pull back. And um, it is a little bit of an art form for sure, but uh, working within a team, if we can figure out how to communicate, oh my goodness, we would literally create less medical mistakes because we could open those doors and say comfortably to someone, I think what you're doing might not be the right solution. And here's what I think might be a better solution. And that person would say, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Rather than, are you questioning me? You know? And so, yeah, it all comes down to just preventing medical issues in our hospitals. And again, it's communication checklists and slowing down, honestly, which no one likes to hear, but those are the big three things. Oh, 100%. I very much, I mean, you have probably experienced it before where you get hired to go into a clinic and teach, you know, teach ECC or teach, you know, anesthesia in my case. And I get there and sometimes they don't have time 
for the lunch and learn that has been scheduled for months or, you know, uh, we don't have time to sit down and learn something. We don't have time to stop what we're doing. Um, And I do agree that, you know, one soapbox of mine and that I'm really passionate about is increasing patient safety, especially when it comes to anesthesia. Uh, You know, in veterinary medicine, we have a much higher uh, morbidity and mortality rate than in human medicine. And there is a reason for that, you guys. Uh, A lot of places don't use checklists. A lot of places don't do M&M rounds. I mean, heck, a lot of places, they don't wear a cap and mask in surgery, right? So there's always ways that we could do better and learn, you know, new techniques and make ourselves better technicians, nurses, etc. everything for our patients. I feel like my obligation to my patient is to continuously grow and learn and do better so I can give them a safer experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, literally two months ago, I was in a hospital without, and they weren't wearing any surgical caps or masks. And I was like, what is happening right now? Um, And I was there to consult with leadership and it was all I could do not to say something. Um, So I did say something at the end of the day, but um, was shot with dirty looks. And I thought, you know, this is where it's so hard to sometimes change people's minds. But, you know, again, those checklists are really key. I mean, you know, one of the things I always talk about, and again, not doing a ton of surgery, but pop-off valves, the amount of patients that have been killed by pop-off valves being closed in veterinary medicine, thousands, I would say tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, honestly. And it's shocking to me that we don't talk about it. We don't determine how we could fix it. We just go, oh, well, he was old or, you know, sometimes under anesthesia, these things happen and we just chalk it off like it's nothing. That's what we tell the pet owner. And the pet owner just goes, yeah, well, they said sometimes they just have a reaction to anesthesia. Oh, I don't even know. I can't. I can't. When, whenever I hear he had a reaction to anesthesia, I'm like, what the hell happened? Like, I, I can't. So Yes. And that's not yeah. to say that some animals will become yeah. very, you know, cardiovascularly depressed with inhaling anesthetics. Sure. But of the vast majority of places that I go into and try to, to, to try to help, it's really that they just don't know, right? They didn't know that propofol causes massive vasodilation and you shouldn't give it to a critical patient. They just didn't know that <laughs> inhalant anesthetics also cause vasodilation, are going to decrease contractility, are going to be bad for a cardiovascularly compromised patient. They just didn't know. And so, again, that goes to my thing of always, you know, as a technician, as a nurse, if you really want the best for your patients, always be willing to admit the, what you don't know. I don't know everything. I mean, I am a VTS with a lot of years of experience, as are you. I still am learning new stuff right? And I, I want to keep learning new stuff. This is the day that I feel like I learned it all. Well, then I need to go work somewhere else. Like maybe I will go work at Target because I need to get a discount at some place that I work for something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Learning is really important. And, you know, once you know better, do better, right? Like sometimes you just simply don't know. But I think, you know, the biggest takeaways from this is one, we all experience medical errors at some point. We need to talk about them. And in order to talk about them, we have to have that great communication, that psychological safety. And we also need to come up with plans on how to prevent them in the future. And that really does come down to slowing down and checklists. And when we decide, oh, well, that patient, you know, just had an anesthetic reaction and we don't talk about, wait, let's dive into it and see exactly what happened. 
we don't fix it for the next patient. And we just keep going along like everything, like this is the norm in veterinary medicine. And it really, we do need to do better by our veterinary patients by talking about the mistakes, preventing the mistakes, using checklists, big fan of checklists. (laughs) Um, So yeah, absolutely. And to your point, I mean, checklists can be used everywhere from the CSR desk and initial, you know, triage of a patient all the way to in the OR and then uh, in recovery as well. Right. So there's there's a there's a chance to make a checklist to make the patient event safer in any part of the hospital, any part of the hospital. So thank you so much, Amy, for talking with us today. Hopefully this has inspired some people to go back to their team meetings and ask, when are we going to start M&M rounds here? Um, but if people want to know more about what you're doing or see you speak or get some more information from you, uh, what are you doing? Where can they go to find you? Yeah, right now, um, I'm what I call myself as a professional unicorn. So that's my title because I can make it up. Um, you can find my website at vetteamtraining.com. And I just launched a continuing education portion of it. I am really excited about people who really need basic anesthesia skills. We've got a VTS in anesthesia analgesia who's doing eight hours, the start of what is anesthesia all the way to pain management at the end. And she's super dynamic. So I'm super excited about that content up there. And then obviously there's emergency content because that's my wheelhouse, but we're going to have a whole bunch of stuff. And the coolest thing about that website is All of the content is only created by veterinary technicians and veterinary nurses. So I'm super excited. Everyone's welcome to learn, uh, but the content's only created by uh, people like us, which is really great. Woohoo! Yes, thank you. And I will put a link to uh, Amy's website in the show notes, as well as links to the studies that we have mentioned, um, as well as maybe a link to the book, The Checklist Manifesto, because I definitely think every uh, veterinary or healthcare professional should read this book at some point in your career. Uh, Thank you so much, Amy, for being on our podcast today and talking through checklists. We hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. 